Section 10 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations, by John Lord. Ancient Philosophy, Part 2. Nevertheless, these great men, lofty as were their inquiries and blameless their lives, had not established any system nor any theories which were incontrovertible. They had simply speculated, and the world ridiculed their speculations. Their ideas were one-sided, and when pushed out to their extreme logical sequence, were antagonistic to one another, which had a tendency to produce doubt and skepticism. Men denied the existence of the gods, and the grounds of certainty fell away from the human mind this spirit of skepticism was favored by the tide of worldliness and prosperity which followed the persian war athens became a great center of art of taste of elegance and of wealth politics absorbed the minds of the people glory and splendor were followed by corruption of morals and the pursuit of material pleasures philosophy went out of fashion since it brought no outward and tangible good more scientific studies were pursued those which could be applied to purposes of utility and material gains even as in our day geology chemistry mechanics engineering have reference to the practical wants of men command talent and lead to certain reward in athens rhetoric mathematics and natural history supplanted rhapsodies and speculations on god and providence renown and wealth could be secured only by readiness and felicity of speech and that was most valued which brought immediate recompense like eloquence men began to practice eloquence as an art and to employ it in furthering their interests they made special pleadings since it was their object to gain their point at any expense of law and justice hence they taught that nothing was immutably right but only so by convention they undermined all confidence in truth and religion by teaching its uncertainty they denied to men even the capability of arriving at truth they practically affirmed the cold and cynical doctrine that there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink qui bono that is the cry of most men in periods of great outward prosperity was the popular inquiry who will show us any good how can we become rich strong and honorable this was the spirit of that class of public teachers who arose in athens when art and eloquence and wealth and splendor were at their height in the fifth century before christ and when the elegant pericles was the leader of fashion and of political power these men were the sophists rhetorical men who taught the children of the rich worldly men who sought honor and power frivolous men trifling with philosophical ideas skeptical men denying all certainty and truth men who as teachers added nothing to the realm of science but who yet established certain dialectical rules useful to later philosophers they were a wealthy powerful honored class not much esteemed by men of thought but sought out as very successful teachers of rhetoric and also generally selected as ambassadors on difficult missions they were full of logical tricks and contrived to throw ridicule upon profound inquiries they taught also mathematics astronomy philology and natural history with success they were polished men of society not profound nor religious but very brilliant as talkers and very ready in wit and sophistry and some of them were men of great learning and talent like democritus lucippus and georgius they were not pretenders and quacks they were skeptics who denied subjective truths and labored for outward advantage they taught the art of disputation and sought systematic methods of proof 
they thus prepared the way for a more perfect philosophy than that taught by the ionians the pythagoreans or the eletics since they showed the vagueness of such inquiries conjectural rather than scientific they had no doctrines in common they were the barristers of their age paid to make the worse appear the better reason yet not teachers of immorality any more than the lawyers of our day men of talents the intellectual leaders of society if they did not advance positive truths they were useful in the method they created they had no hostility to truth as such they only doubted whether it could be reached in the realm of psychological inquiries and sought to apply knowledge to their own purposes or rather to distort it in order to gain a case they are not a class of men whom i admire as i do the old sages they ridiculed but they were not without their use in the development of philosophy the sophists also rendered a service to literature by giving definiteness to language and creating style in prose writing protagoras investigated the principles of accurate composition prodicus busied himself with inquiries into the significance of words georgius like voltaire gloried in a captivating style and gave symmetry to the structure of sentences the ridicule and skepticism of the sophists brought out the great powers of socrates to whom philosophy is probably more indebted than to any man who ever lived not so much for a perfect system as for the impulse he gave to philosophical inquiries and for his successful exposure of error he inaugurated a new era born in athens in the year four hundred seventy b c the son of a poor sculptor he devoted his life to the search after truth for its own sake and sought to base it on immutable foundations he was the mortal enemy of the sophists whom he encountered as pascal did the jesuits with wit irony puzzling questions and remorseless logic it is true that socrates and his great successors plato and aristotle were called sophists but only as all philosophers or wise men were so called the sophists as a class had incurred the odium of being the first teachers who received pay for the instruction they imparted the philosophers generally taught for the love of truth the sophists were a natural and necessary and very useful development of their time but they were distinctly on a lower level than the philosophers were lovers of wisdom like the earlier philosophers socrates disdained wealth ease and comfort but with greater devotion than they since he lived in a more corrupt age when poverty was a disgrace and misfortune a crime when success was the standard of merit and every man was supposed to be the arbiter of his own fortune ignoring that providence who so often refuses the race to the swift and the battle to the strong he was what in our time would be called eccentric he walked barefooted meanly clad and withal not over cleanly seeking public places disputing with everybody willing to talk with him making everybody ridiculous especially if one assumed airs of wisdom or knowledge an exasperating opponent since he wove a web around a man from which he could not be extricated and then exposed him to ridicule in the wittiest city of the world he attacked everybody and yet was generally respected since it was errors rather than persons opinions rather than vices that he attacked and this he did with bewitching eloquence and irresistible fascination so that though he was poor and barefooted a salinius in appearance with thick lips upturned nose projecting eyes unwieldy belly he was sought by alcibiades and admired in aspasia even xanthippe a beautiful young woman very much younger than he a woman fond of the comforts and pleasures of life was willing to marry him although it is said that she turned out a scolding wife after the res angusta domi had disenchanted her from the music of his voice and the divinity of his nature i have heard pericles said the most dissipated and voluptuous man in athens and other excellent orators but was not moved by them 
while this marsyas the satyr so affects me that the life i lead is hardly worth living and i stop my ears from the sirens and flee as fast as possible that i may not sit down and grow old in listening to his talk socrates learned his philosophy from no one and struck out on an entirely new path he declared his own ignorance and sought to convince other people of theirs he did not seek to reveal truth so much as to expose error and yet it was his object to attain correct ideas as to moral obligations he proclaimed the sovereignty of virtue and the immutability of justice he sought to delineate and enforce the practical duties of life his great object was the elucidation of morals and he was the first to teach ethics systematically from the immutable principles of moral obligation moral certitude was the lofty platform from which he surveyed the world and upon which as a rock he rested in the storms of life thus he was a great reformer and a moralist it was his ethical doctrines which were most antagonistic to the age and the least appreciated he was a profoundly religious man recognized providence and believed in the immortality of the soul he did not presume to inquire into the divine essence yet he believed the gods were omniscient and omnipresent that they ruled by the law of goodness and that in spite of their multiplicity there was unity a supreme intelligence that governed the world hence he was hated by the sophists who denied the certainty of arriving at any knowledge of god from the comparative worthlessness of the body he deduced the immortality of the soul with him the end of life was reason and intelligence he deduced the existence of god from the order and harmony of nature belief in which was irresistible he endeavored to connect the moral with the religious consciousness and thus to promote the practical welfare of society in this light socrates stands out the greatest personage of pagan antiquity as a moralist as a teacher of ethics as a man who recognized the divine so far as he was concerned in the development of greek philosophy proper he was inferior to some of his disciples yet he gave a turning point to a new period when he wakened the idea of knowledge and was the founder of the method of scientific inquiry since he pointed out the legitimate bounds of inquiry and was thus the precursor of bacon and pascal he did not attempt to make physics explain metaphysics nor metaphysics the phenomena of the natural world and he reasoned only from what was generally assumed to be true and invariable he was a great pioneer of philosophy since he resorted to inductive methods of proof and gave general definiteness to ideas although he employed induction it was his aim to withdraw the mind from the contemplation of nature and to fix it on its own phenomena to look inward rather than outward a method carried out admirably by his pupil plato the previous philosophers had given their attention to external nature socrates gave up speculations about material phenomena and directed his inquiries solely to the nature of knowledge and as he considered knowledge to be identical with virtue he speculated on ethical questions mainly and the method which he taught was that by which alone man could become better and wiser to know oneself in other words that the proper study of mankind is man he proclaimed with thales cicero said of him socrates brought down philosophy from the heavens to the earth he did not disdain the subjects which chiefly interested the sophists astronomy rhetoric physics but he chiefly discussed moral questions such as what is piety what is the just and the unjust what is temperance what is courage what is the character fit for a citizen and other ethical points involving practical human relationships these questions were discussed by socrates in a striking manner and by a method peculiarly his own professing ignorance he put perhaps this question what is law it was familiar and was answered offhand 
socrates having got the answer then put fresh questions applicable to specific cases to which the respondent was compelled to give an answer inconsistent with the first thus showing that the definition was too narrow or too wide or defective in some essential condition the respondent then amended his answer but this was a prelude to other questions which could only be answered in ways inconsistent with the amendment and the respondent after many attempts to disentangle himself was obliged to plead guilty to his inconsistencies with an admission that he could make no satisfactory answer to the original inquiry which had at first appeared so easy thus by this system of cross-examination he showed the intimate connection between the dialectic method and the logical distribution of particulars into species and genera the discussion first turns upon the meaning of some generic term the query bring the answers into collision with various particulars which it ought not to comprehend or which it ought to comprehend but does not socrates broke up the one into many by his analytical string of questions which was a mode of argument by which he separated real knowledge from the conceit of knowledge and led to precision in the use of definitions it was thus that he exposed the false without aiming even to teach the true for he generally professed ignorance on his part and put himself in the attitude of a learner while by his cross-examinations he made the man from whom he apparently sought knowledge to appear as ignorant as himself or still worse absolutely ridiculous thus socrates pulled away all the foundations on which a false science had been erected and indicated the mode by which alone the true could be established here he was not unlike bacon who pointed out the way whereby science could be advanced without founding any school or advocating any system but the athenian was unlike bacon in the object of his inquiries bacon was disgusted with ineffective logical speculations and socrates with ineffective physical researches he never suffered a general term to remain undetermined but applied it at once to particulars and by questions the purport of which was not comprehended it was not by positive teaching but by exciting scientific impulse in the minds of others or stirring up the analytical faculties that socrates manifested originality it was his aim to force the seekers after truth into the path of inductive generalization whereby alone trustworthy conclusions could be formed he thus struck out from his own and other minds that fire which sets light to original thought and stimulates analytical inquiry he was a religious and intellectual missionary preparing the way for the platos and aristotles of the succeeding age by his severe dialectics this was his mission and he declared it by talking he did not lecture he conversed for more than thirty years he discoursed on the principles of morality until he arrayed against himself enemies who caused him to be put to death for his teachings had undermined the popular system which the sophists accepted and practiced he probably might have been acquitted if he had chosen to be but he did not wish to live after his powers of usefulness had passed away the service which socrates rendered to philosophy as enumerated by tenemen are twofold negative and positive negative inasmuch as he avoided all vain discussions combated mere speculative reasoning on substantial grounds and had the wisdom to acknowledge ignorance when necessary but without attempting to determine accurately what is capable and what is not of being accurately known positive inasmuch as he examined with great ability the ground directly submitted to our understanding and of which man is the centre socrates cannot be said to have founded a school like xenophanes he did not bequeath a system of doctrines he had however his disciples who followed in the path which he suggested among these were aristippus antisthenes euclid of megara phaedo of elis and plato all of whom were pupils of socrates and founders of the schools some only partially adopted his method and each differed from the other 
nor can it be said that all of them advanced science aristippus the founder of the cyrenaic school was a sort of philosophic voluptuary teaching that pleasure is the end of life antisthenes the founder of the cynics was both virtuous and arrogant placing the supreme good in virtue but despising speculative science and maintaining that no man can refute the opinions of another he made it a virtue to be ragged hungry and cold like the ancient monks an austere stern bitter reproachful man who affected to despise all pleasures like his own disciple diogenes who lived in a tub and carried on a war between the body and mind brutal scornful proud to men who maintain that science was impossible philosophy is not much indebted although they were disciples of socrates euclid not the mathematician who was about a century later merely gave a new edition of the eleatic doctrines and phaedo speculated on the oneness of the good it was not till plato arose that a more complete system of philosophy was founded he was born of noble athenian parents 429 bc the year that pericles died in the second year of the peloponnesian war the most active period of greek thought he had a severe education studying mathematics poetry music rhetoric and blending these with philosophy he was only twenty when he found out socrates with whom he remained ten years and from whom he was separated only by death he then went on his travels visiting everything worth seeing in his day especially in egypt when he returned he began to teach the doctrines of his master which he did like him gratuitously in a garden near athens planted with lofty plane trees and adorned with temples and statues this was called the academy and gave a name to his system of philosophy it is this only with which we have to do it is not the calm serious meditative isolated man that i would present but his contribution to the developments of philosophy on the principles of his master surely no man ever made a richer contribution to this department of human inquiry than plato he may not have had the originality or keenness of socrates but he was more profound he was preeminently a great thinker a great logician skilled in dialectics and his dialogues are such perfect exercises of the dialectical method that the ancients were divided as to whether he was a skeptic or a dogmatist he adopted the socratic method and enlarged it says Luz, analysis as insisted on by plato is the decomposition of the whole into its separate parts is seeing the one in many the individual thing was transitory the abstract idea was eternal only concerning the latter could philosophy occupy itself socrates insisting on proper definitions had no conception of the classification of those definitions which must constitute philosophy plato by the introduction of this process shifted philosophy from the ground of inquiries into man in society which exclusively occupied socrates to that of dialectics plato was also distinguished for skill in composition dionysus of Halicarnassus classes him with herodotus and demosthenes in the perfection of his style which is characterized by great harmony and rhythm as well as by a rich variety of elegant metaphors plato made philosophy to consist in the discussion of general terms or abstract ideas general terms were synonymous with real existences and these were the only objects of philosophy these were called ideas and ideas are the basis of his system or rather the subject matter of dialectics he maintained that every general term or abstract idea has a real and independent existence nay that the mental power of conceiving and combining ideas as contrasted with the mere impressions received from matter and external phenomena is the only real and permanent existence hence his writings became the great fountainhead of the ideal philosophy 
in his assertion of the real existence of so abstract and supersensuous a thing as an idea he was probably indebted to pythagoras for plato was a master of the whole realm of philosophical speculation but his conception of ideas as the essence of being is a great advance on that philosopher's conception of numbers he was taught by socrates that beyond this world of sense there is the world of eternal truth and that there are certain principles concerning which there can be no dispute the soul apprehends the idea of goodness greatness etc it is in the celestial world that we are to find the realm of ideas now god is the supreme idea to know god then should be the great aim of life we know him through the desire which like feels for like the divinity within feels its affinity with the divinity revealed in beauty or any other abstract idea the longing of the soul for beauty is love love then is the bond which unites the human with the divine beauty is not revealed by harmonious outlines that appeal to the senses but is truth it is divinity beauty truth love these are god whom it is the supreme desire of the soul to comprehend and by the contemplation of whom the mortal soul sustains itself knowledge of god is the great end of life and this knowledge is affected by dialectics for only out of dialectics can correct knowledge come but man immersed in the flux of sensualities can never fully attain this knowledge of god the object of all rational inquiry hence the imperfection of all human knowledge the supreme good is attainable it is not attained god is the immutable good and justice the rule of the universe the vital principle of plato's philosophy says ritter is to show that true science is the knowledge of the good is the eternal contemplation of truth or ideas and though man may not be able to apprehend it in its unity because he is subject to the restraints of the body he is nevertheless permitted to recognize it imperfectly by calling to mind the eternal measure of existence by which he is in his origin connected to quote from ritter again when we review the doctrines of plato it is impossible to deny that they are pervaded with a grand view of life and the universe this is the noble thought which inspired him to say that god is the constant and immutable good the world is good in a state of becoming and the human soul that in and through which the good in the world is to be consummated in his sublimer conception he shows himself the worthy disciple of socrates while he adopted many of the opinions of his predecessors and gave due consideration to the results of the earlier philosophy he did not allow himself to be disturbed by the mass of conflicting theories but breathed into them the life-giving breath of unity he may have erred in his attempts to determine the nature of good still he pointed out to all who aspire to a knowledge of the divine nature an excellent road by which they may arrive at it that plato was one of the greatest lights of the ancient world there can be no reasonable doubt nor is it probable that as a dialectician he has ever been surpassed while his purity of life and his lofty inquiries and his belief in god and immortality make him in an ethical point of view the most worthy of the disciples of socrates he was to the greeks what kant was to the germans and these two great thinkers resemble each other in the structure of their minds and their relations to society the ablest part of the lectures of archer butler of dublin is devoted to the platonic philosophy it is at once a criticism and a eulogium no modern writer has written more enthusiastically of what he considers the crowning excellence of the greek philosophy the dialectics of plato his ideal theory his physics his psychology and his ethics are the most ably discussed and in the spirit of a loving and eloquent disciple butler represents the philosophy which he so much admires as a contemplation of and a tendency to the absolute and eternal good 
as the admirers of ralph waldo emerson claim that he more than any other man of our times entered into the spirit of the platonic philosophy i introduce some of his most striking paragraphs of subdued but earnest admiration of the greatest intellect of the ancient pagan world hoping that they may be clearer to others than they are to me these sentences of plato contain the culture of nations these are the cornerstone of schools these are the foundation head of literatures a discipline it is in logic arithmetic taste symmetry poetry language rhetoric ontology morals or practical wisdom there never was such a range of speculation out of plato came all things that are still written and debated among men of thought great havoc makes he among our originalities we have reached the mountain from which all these drift boulders were attached plato in egypt and in eastern pilgrimages imbibed the idea of one deity in which all things are absorbed the unity of asia and the detail of europe the infinitude of the asiatic soul and the defining result loving machine making surface seeking opera going europe plato came to join and by contact to enhance the energy of each the excellence of europe and asia is in his brain metaphysics and natural philosophy expressed the genius of europe he substricts the religion of asia as the base in short a balanced soul was born perceptive of the two elements the physical philosophers had sketched each his theory of the world the theory of atoms of fire of flux of spirit theories mechanical and chemical in their genius plato a master of mathematics studious of all natural laws and causes feels these as second causes to be no theories of the world but bare inventories and lists to the study of nature he therefore prefixes the dogma let us declare the cause which led the supreme ordainer to produce and compose the universe he was good he wished that all things should be as much as possible like himself plato represents the privilege of the intellect the power namely of carrying up every fact to successive platforms and so disclosing in every fact a germ of expansion these expansions or extensions consist in continuing the spiritual sight where the horizon falls on our natural vision and by this second sight discovering the long lines of law which shoot in every direction his definition of ideas as what is simple permanent uniform and self-existent forever discriminating them from the notions of the understanding marks an era in the world end of section 10